This morning, I'm going to finish up our series on the salt of the earth, and uh, Pastor Olivier had mentioned the missions banquet. If you're new at Bethel's Rock, there are three services that we want everyone to come to. Uh, that is Easter, which uh, we want everybody to come and bring someone with you on Easter. Uh, we have Reveal Sunday, which is typically our third Sunday of January, where we reveal the theme for the new year. And then it's this coming weekend, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Every year we do our missions weekend. Uh, if you look at the flags above you, that each flag represents someone from that nation that attends Bethel's Rock. And um, so if you're from another country and you don't see your flag there and you were, you, you were brought up in that country or born in that country and then you came over here, let us know. We'll hang a flag. And the Raptors at all three campuses. Um, but we value missions. In fact, I just got a letter. We're an Assembly of God church for those who are wondering. Um, I just got an email from uh, uh, the head of World Missions in the Assemblies of God, which is one of the largest missions organizations in the world. Um, and out of 13,000 churches, uh, last year we were 96th in missions giving. Uh, this year we had a, two, they just emailed me and said, we just wanted to say thank you to Bethel's Rock. You have a 222% increase in giving over last year. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, during a time when everything is happening, you've given more than that. It's very possible. We're working on it. Our goal is to give a million dollars away in missions every year to take the gospel around the world. This year, it's very possible you will have given half a million dollars. We're halfway to that goal. Uh, to do that, it's, it was a 10-year goal, and we're only three years in. So... I just believe God's going to help us do that. Do you? So after Thanksgiving, I'm actually going. Uh, so I'm preaching this weekend, and the next weekend we have the missions banquet. And then the following weekend, um, I'll be speaking here all three services in Richfield. I'm not going to be traveling that day. I'm going to just stay here in Richfield on that day. And then I fly out to Togo to dedicate the deaf school you built, the high school you built. And then uh, we're going to Burkina Faso. Uh, to dedicate the library at the Bible school you built and the dormitories you built that are preparing pastors in Burkina Faso. And then we're meeting with the general superintendent of the Ivory Coast to look at another project. And so uh, be ready. There's a lot more vision to come, and it's going to be an exciting time. And then I'm going to be back the following Sunday to uh, be here on that week. And so there's a lot coming up. Are you guys ready? How many are ready for the holidays too, right? So I want to say thank you to you, and it's really about being the salt of the earth. And, and really, the last two speakers we had, and the speaker that's going to speak at the missions convention next week, they're all talking about our responsibility to be the salt of the earth and, and what God has called us to do in being the salt of the earth. There's a the term we use, and if you've, you've not, um, and I want to talk about seeing the one, but there's a term called the Great Commission... And, um, and maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't heard of it, it's confusing to some people. You know, we talk a lot about mission, that God has set us on a mission. He has not set us on a mission. It's very important to understand he didn't call it the great mission. He called it the great commission, which meant that if God wants to do it, God will do it. That, that is the most, one of the more unbiblical, deceptive things that Christians believe, that if God wants to do it, he's just going to do it. 
It's a co-mission. God does it with us. He has given you the ability. He's given you reason. He's given you a brain. If he wanted you just to be a robot, he would have made you one. He gave you the ability, potential, dreams, uh, a whole lot of that inside of you. There is, there is this passion. He's given us passions to direct us with him, God. And, and if there's anything uh, that, you know, one of the things, you know, my daughters were making a magazine of all the sayings I say over and over and over and over again in church on a Sunday. And there's a reason I do it. If when I die, I want them to, this was one of his sayings. I want you to know this is one of those sayings. God never uses anybody. Stop asking him to use you. God participates with you. It's a participation. God says, this is what I want to do. And we say, God, I want to participate with what you're doing. God, that's the most, uh, if, if I told you, yeah, I, I just want to use my wife. I just want a user. User, user, user. How many would say that's a pretty messed up, dysfunctional mess, right? And yet we say, God, use me. That's just dysfunctional thinking. But we work, participate together to accomplish what God's calling us to. That's what it means, the great co-mission. God is doing something, and he's saying, you want to come along and do it with me? You want to participate with me? So let's participate with what God's doing. It's, it's interesting because every one of us are called. We've often said, well, if you're called, then you'll be a pastor or missionary. No, actually, the moment you came to Christ, you became a called individual. You were called up out of darkness. You were called up out of death and you were called to be salt and light to the world. And, and really, this is what Jesus came to do. One, uh, to reveal God to man. See, how do you know God exists? I know God exists because Jesus walked the planet. And you can argue with what Jesus was. You can argue all those things. But what you cannot argue with was Jesus said, I'm the direct representation of God. I want you to know that God is there even though you can't see him. You can see creation. You can tell there's a creator. But because some of you are even a little hard-headed and you're bumping the shoulder of the person next to you a little bit right now, right? Even when we can be a little boneheaded at times, Jesus said, I'm going to come in the flesh to be the representation that there is a God and there is a creator and not just that to conquer death in our life to let you know that your death is now conquered your sin is now conquered and to give us the hope of eternal life I'm here to tell you there is life after this place I mean that's something to get excited about Right? I, I think some of us gotten so intoxicated with this earth that we've gotten only excited about things that are passing away when there is something that's going to last forever. We got eternal life. We can, some of us need to start living like we have eternal life. You need to, there are things, and I'm going to tell you, and I know there's some older people, we need to be risk takers. Only a couple of people say amen to that. We, why? Because I got life after this. This isn't the end. It's just the beginning. You're trying to save your life rather than live it. It's time to live our life for what God's calling us to, to participate with him. Don't, don't get old and, and, and crotchety, right? I, I grew up in one of those churches. 
Nobody wanted to take a risk. Everybody wanted to play it safe. Don't we have an incredible supernatural God? In order to live in that realm, we're going to have to take some risk because we can get old and then want to protect everything and end up losing. So I want to encourage you to start taking some risks. What I want to do is show you some scriptures here. And, and, and these are the Gospels. The Gospels were four perspectives of the life of Christ and given by different people and written down by different people. There, this is in Matthew. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age that God's with us. That, that's a command with promise. I'm going to be with you as you do that. You're not going to do it alone. Well, pastor, tell me how to do it. I can't tell you how to do it. He's with you. He will lead you. Know his voice. He will hear his voice and he will lead you. In Mark it says, he said to them, go into all the world. Go into all the world. That's why we take missions trips. We got 12 of them next year. And so if you're not signed up for one, be sure to sign up for a missions trip before you leave this morning. And be risk takers. Right? Some of you think, I ain't going on a missions trip. Well, okay, that's another, that's next week. <laughs> Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Let's start in maybe our neighborhood. Here's what it says in Luke. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Then in, then in John, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You know, we talk about how godless the world is, and there's some in this room, I know you think the world is falling apart, the sky is falling, it's all over, you know, the rapture's, it's going to come, can I, can I tell you something? Um, as the Father sent you, I am sending you. The reason the world is where it's at is because we remain silent. The people without light are just going to be dark. They're not going to act like Christians when they don't know the truth. They're not going to act like Christ if they don't know Christ. And who's going to tell them about Christ? We can't continue to sit in the church and then look at the world, condemn the world, attack the world while we sit silent and let them die in their darkness. That might have been a little heavy. But it's the reality. Stop complaining about the world if we're not preaching the good news to the world. We get all caught up. We, it's, we're almost better at complaining about what we don't like than trying to change what God wants to change. And the only way he's doing it is you. Well, we want to pray, God, will you change the world? He says, I'm trying to, but you won't get off your knees and do it. Now, that, 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 was, that was like, amen. That's exactly right. You know, that's right. We, we do that. Amen. It's the truth. I, I really do believe God's saying, it's not, we should be praying. That's not what I'm saying. But, but what I'm saying is sometimes we just think praying about it is going to change the world. It ain't going to change the world. You got to go from praying to, to go out in the world and actually tell people about the love of Jesus for them. 
We have, to, we have to move from there. And then finally in Acts, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. So this is our city, this is our nation, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're doing, especially in missions, when we send people around the world. Our assignment is, is going to grow. And there's a lot of people that just want to be in a small little church community. And, and we're just going to stay us thus far and no more. And we're, we're going to have our little parties and do our potlucks and just do that. No, no, we need to reach the lost. It's more that like church is more than just having a community of people it's reaching people outside of this place and and taking the gospel this isn't the place where we come and we just you know so there there's this sense uh, let me let me show you this the church is to be a place of people who are gathered to do mission well, I just want to come in and I just want to grow and, and, just, and, and, and never really use what I grow in and just be a better person. The church is there for me to be a better person. And that's legitimately what people think the church is for. It's just for me to be a better person. Give me information, dispense information, I get information. And then uh, some of it I use, some of it I don't do anything. And you keep dispensing the same information that I feel guilty about not ever applying in my life. And we come to the reality that only God can change us, right? But that's not what this is about. Change should take place in your prayer closet. Where, where God changes you is when you get away with him and you spend time with him. Really, the, this place, although you're going to grow and you're going to mature, and, and, and so when you feel like you're a better person, you just think, I don't really need church anymore. I don't need church anymore. If we don't have mission, we don't need church. If you don't have mission, you don't need church. That's why it's easy to just do it online. I'll just watch online. I'll say I'm watching it online and never watch it online. I mean, there are people saying, I watched online. Uh, we, we saw who was watching online. Like, we knew who was watching online. Does this make sense? I hope this is connecting. It's our mission. We come together for mission. Here's our goal right here is to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's what our vision is. That's what our mission is. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, we're doing life hacks right now. And if you haven't been a part of life hack, you can still go, but you're only going to get the last three. Because uh, there were 12 and we're on the last three of them. And, and one of the life hacks is on the one we just, we're still filming them actually because I've been so busy. We just filmed one and it's on stewardship. And, and, uh, and I talk about the parable of the talents. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you a little bit right now about that talent. Because it really was like, if you, if you read it, there's so many things you can do in that parable. But Jesus gives uh, talents which, which, by the way, a talent is the cost of one lifetime. It would be the wages of a lifetime. It'd be like if someone came up and said, you're going to make this much in your lifetime at, at 20. You're going to make this much in your lifetime. I'm going to give it all to you right now. Here, here's the talent. Okay? That's what the guy with one talent received was a lifetime wage. Okay? which would have made anyone happy until you saw the other two had a two lifetimes and five lifetimes, right? But here's what happens. It says when the first two servants came to the master, when he returns and the first two servants come to the master, 
they come and they're proud of what they have and they bring him and says, see what I did with what you gave me? And you don't think anything about it until you re read the response of the third. The third one comes and says, I knew you were a hard and difficult master. So I buried it. If you look at what he said, and then you look at the perspective of the master of the other two, they viewed him in a way that you were gracious, you were giving, you were generous, and you gave us this, and we were able to have the opportunity. They obeyed what the master wanted out of a because the perspective of the master was different than the one that was the third. If you think that... That, that literally, I got to go out and win the lost, and I don't want to win the lost, and it's an obligation. You're going to bury your life in the dirt, and you will never make a disciple, and you will never lead anyone to Christ. Because you view them as someone, I feel guilty, I feel obligated, like I have to do it, and I don't want to do it. Oh, make no mistake about it, you aren't going to do anything you don't want to do. Look at Acts 4.19. These guys had been beaten. They were flogged because they kept preaching about Jesus. And look at the response. It says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We just can't help ourselves. It is so incredible. What God did for me was so incredible. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think. I just want to share the love of Jesus with people because of what he's done. Their perspective was of a good, good father, not as a mean ogre dad or master, someone that was dictating or dominating them. And just one, he says, you, you gather where you did not work is what the, mass, what the servant said. So the question is, why is it I don't really want to share the gospel? Or maybe it's a question of, why, isn't that, why is it that I don't tell people? If the gospel is really about those three things that Jesus came to do, if the gospel is about life, and healing, and freedom from bondage, and, and freedom, really freedom isn't freedom from bondage, which is funny, but we always think of it that way. Not freedom from the prison, it's really freedom out here. And it's, it's a walk in life and power. And all. If it's all about that, why is it that I don't tell more people about it? Why is it I tell more people about Cain's chicken than I do about the cross of Christ? What what is it? What is it that's really standing? What is the barrier? What is it that's keeping me from what I know God's calling me to do? Because here, here's the reality. We cannot reach what we cannot see. We cannot reach what we cannot see. You know, when I went to Peru a number of years ago now, uh, they took us to the dump, and they had just moved the dump out further because the town was growing in the middle it's a Quito's Peru is a half a million people it's probably now a million people in the middle of the Amazon jungle and I've been there about probably 12 or 13 times and you fly in the only way to get there is to fly in or to take the Amazon River in it's right on the Amazon and uh, they they took us on a on a truck out to the dump 
and uh, we're walking through this trail and jungles and everyone's trying to avoid anacondas I'm kind of looking for them you know I kind of I, I love I love seeing snakes they're just the coolest thing and uh, so we're walking through this river I mean we're literally walking through the river uh, to get to the other side and you come up over this hill and here's this huge dump huge dump and as I come over the other side of the dump the hill and we come down there's this truck just dumped uh, a bunch of chicken guts in the, in the dump, and he's driving away. And people and vultures run to the chicken guts, and they're digging through the chicken guts looking for eggs that were still in the womb of the chicken. And they're fighting, people were fighting vultures for eggs. And I thought to myself, I can't unsee that. I can't unsee that. That there are people, and as they came up, this woman came up, she was the pastor's wife of the dump church. She had found three eggs that day, and she was very happy over three eggs. And she went there to live in that dump by choice. Because the people in the dump needed to know Jesus. And we live in our posh homes, drive our cars that at least get us where we're going. Does this make sense? Can't unsee that. And the problem is, we need to see the ones, we need to see people. I think we get so busy that we don't see people. I was driving our car and trying to get on the, well, driving and trying to get on the, uh, off the on-ramp going down onto 494. And uh, I'm trying to get on and all the cars are moving up really tight in the bumper and nobody wants to look at you. You, you know, you've been there? And it's like you're sitting there and going, hello, I'm here. And, and they're just like this. And you're doing everything to get them to look. They won't look. Well, the, the, the car goes by. This next minivan happened to be a car. And there was a girl in, in the car. In the car, And I'm sitting there and I'm like, please. And she, goes, she looks at me. She sees it and starts laughing and then tells her mom, let, it, let, her, let them in, you know. And she's like, you know. So she, they, they let me in. But... But until she saw me, I was just a car. But when she saw me, I became a human. We have to see people. Before, well, we use our struggles as excuses to avoid ministering to the needs of other people. We use our struggles as excuses. I got a lot going on in my life. I got a lot of challenges in my life. I got to deal with all of the stuff in my life. I don't have time to really minister to them. I don't, I don't have all that I need to do that. Before the look, we are just the need. After the look, we become a person. We become a person. There's... Um, 
there's a story I want to tell you, and it's, it's a story you've all heard before, but I wanted to set it up beforehand. The disciples, all 12 of the disciples, go to run an errand, and Jesus is in this place. They're in Samaria, which is really a place the Jews tried to avoid, but they were walking through, and Jesus was standing there. There was a woman at a well, and he goes up, and he says, will you give me something to drink? And, and that's a real problem, especially in their culture. One, she's a Samaritan. Jews didn't like it. It was a very racial issue, a racial bias, and Jesus crossed over that barrier because Jesus doesn't see race because there's only one race, human race. He, he sees a lot of deception that separates people and she's just a person and and she was a woman which was another gender issue and he went to this woman and he starts talking which you wouldn't do as a man and he he starts talking to a Sumerian woman a double whammy of things that would cause you to avoid them and he goes up and he says will you give me something to drink and she says uh, why are you talking to me she identifies the bias she says why are you coming to talk to me you know i am a sumerian and you're coming and he says well i kind of want a drink will you give me give me a drink and they get talking and he says well go get your husband and she says well i don't have a husband and she he says you're right you don't have one you've had five and the one you're shacking up with right now isn't your husband and he says i perceiveth you're a prophet and because uh, you just revealed everything I've just said and, and or, or everything in my life and you don't even know me. And he says, you're a great man. And, and, uh, and he says, if you really knew how great I was, you'd ask me for a drink and I'd give you water that would take care of you forever. How many have taken a drink of that water? Amen. And it is right then that we come to this story in John, and I, and I, wanna, I want you to see this story. Just then as the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman, especially a Sumerian woman, but a woman, because you just didn't do that. That's not, not what he did. But look at this. But no one asked, what do you want and why are you talking with her? No one asks. Now, if it's in the Bible, there's a reason it's in the Bible. There's a whole lot of details that are in the Bible, and there are a lot that are not in the Bible because they don't pertain to the story. They're not important to the story. But this is in there. They saw something that seemed so strange to them, but they didn't ask. Why didn't they ask? What, what were you doing? Why is it that you did this? So why were the two statements? Why were the two statements included in the narrative? Let's go on in the story. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. Now, this is interesting because here comes the town. They've gotten whatever errand they needed to do, came back uh, to Jesus. They're sitting there and they said, Rabbi, eat something. Let's go get something to eat. But he said to them, now the whole town has come out. And he says, hey, hey, hey Jesus, let's go get something to eat. You know, it, it, this food problem has been a problem with the church for a long time. Jesus preached for three days. They said, Jesus, really, we should stop so we could go get something to eat. They're, they're thinking about their bellies. And Jesus is constantly saying, there's something else that I'm eating that you don't know about. He says this, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to him, could someone have brought him food? 
because they're thinking in the natural. He says, uh, could, uh, uh, my food, said Jesus, is to do what? The will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He's like, don't you see the need? Don't you see where I'm eating is doing the will of the Father in my life. It is meeting a need inside of me. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's my, that's my, uh, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are what? Close your eyes if you would. Now open them. Open, open your eyes. You're looking at the world the way all of the other people look at the world that are not following Christ. See, there's a difference and Paul talks about it. He says, open their eyes and open their ears that they might see and perceive and their heart might be healed. Open your eyes. Do you see the harvest? No, what I see is a nation that's making terrible moral decisions. And I see a nation where they're forcing me to do things I don't want to do. And I see a nation that's trying to, and they're all trying to destroy our country. And, and, they're, and you know what? That could all be true. But what are you looking at? Where are you putting your passion and your energy? What harvest... Are we getting from any of it? All of it's going to pass away. You know, I, I uh, went to the eye doctor, which you've seen me starting to wear. For those who are new, you've only seen me wear glasses. But I, for most of the time I've been here, in fact, it's pretty new that I'm wearing glasses. And uh, I went to the eye doctor and I said, well, I'm having a hard time uh, reading and um, and, and seeing, and, and so I went in there, and he says, you know, and that is quite the experience. I mean, the gadgets, they put right up in your face, and then they put this on there, and then, and then they do all of this stuff with the, 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 the lens, right, like that. And, and me wanting to be a, like a, 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 my daughter's called a tryhard, you know, like, like I'm going to try to read the worst, you know, I'm, I'm like really working to see the smallest. I'm not trying to figure out my eyes are bad. I'm trying to prove to them they're not bad, <laughs> all right, by trying to read. And is that better? I don't know if it's better. I have no idea. It looks the same to me, all right? And I'm trying to answer all the right questions or answer, give the right answers to their questions, even though I don't know what it is. I'm guessing, all right? I'm just hoping it's right. And then he says, now I'm going to blow, I'm going to blow eye, I'm going to blow air in your eye. And, and they go up there, <laughs> like, tell a guy about that, you know? And, and they do all this stuff about it. And, uh, and, and they get it. And he says, well, well, sir, uh, Mr. Bifford, uh, you're uh, nearsighted. And I said, uh, uh, or farsighted. And I said, no, I'm not. I can see far away. It's the nearest stuff that I'm having a hard time with. It's the only medical field that labels your disorder with what you do best. 
You, you know, it's the only one that does it the other way around. And, and, it, and it's because like, I, can, I can see further. And, and, you know, the church has really become nearsighted. We see real good in here with what's going on in my life. We, we really focused on me and mine and what's going around, on around me. And we don't focus on anything out there. We become really good at what my beliefs are and what my passions are, and I can see everything in here, but I'm not concerned with the people out there. Look, look at this. If God answered all of my prayers, would it change the world or just change me? If God answered all of my prayers, would it change the world or would it just change me? So uh, I'm going to have uh, our uh, all three of you guys come on up here for a moment. Well, actually, Heather, you can stay there. Jason, come on up. And you three get. So this is what I'm going to do. I want to show you this. Uh, yeah, come on up on stage, up on the platform right here. And Jason in front, Pastor Olivia right there. Okay, now I want you to face me, all of you face me, and then stand behind Jason, okay? And Chuck right behind it, and get a closer, closer heel to toe, Heel the toe, so back up to you, feel your bellies, blow out your belly a little bit, okay. Now, 2.4 billion people claim to be Christians, okay, which leaves 5.2 billion that either don't know Christ, 42% of the world don't even know who Jesus is. They've never once heard the name Jesus, they have no idea who Jesus is, they don't know what a Bible is, they have no idea of the Creator God as we know Creator God in the Bible. 42% of the world. How many say that's a problem? That's a problem. And, and, uh, and how many believe that should change? Right? Okay. So, in 9-11, on 9-11, 2,996 people died in, on 9-11. If they were to stand like this right here, right now, just like this, it would be, they would go for six-tenth of a mile. That's how long they would go. Okay, the tsunami that hit uh, uh, Thailand, 250, or Indonesia, 250,000 people perished with that tsunami. 250,000 people perished. If they were to stand like this, it would go 47 miles. Okay, 47 miles. 5.4 billion if they were to stand like this, starting in, uh, at the equator, in Ecuador, right in that area, and work around the equator, and go around the equator, build the bridge, go over the Pacific Ocean, over into Asia, Europe, all the way back, build the bridge back over the Atlantic Ocean, and come all the way back to where they started. One time, two times, five times, ten times, forty times, eighty times, a hundred times, a hundred and twenty-four times, standing like this. That's how many lost people are in the world. 
created by God in his image, they're people. They're not a statistic. They're not a face that you can't see. They're human beings. They're daughters. And what if your family was in that line? How many in here would say, yeah, I have a lost family member that I love dearly that I pray for? Raise your hand. How many are praying that God would send somebody into their life to share the good news with them because they ain't listening to you anymore? Right? Don't you believe that there's another parent somewhere praying that you will open your eyes and see their child and share the good news with them and you reap what you sow? I remember when I went into ministry, uh, one of the first ministries I started was seniors ministry. And it was funny for a 22-year-old kid to start a seniors ministry. Uh, people actually laughed when they heard that I had started it. And, uh, and, and I had told the Lord, the Lord had actually told me to start a ministry to the seniors. It helped me to pre appreciate those who are older. And I said, God, I will if you take care of my grandmother. If you send someone to take care of my grandmothers, I'll take care of other people's grandmothers and grandfathers. Is this making sense? We have a calling to the 5.4 billion people, not just around the world, but in your world, in your nation, and then in the globe. Thank you, guys. We need to open our eyes. We need to open our eyes to where they are. We need to open our eyes to where they are. They're all around us. Psalms 37.3 says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his ways. God is directing us in divine appointments to people that need Jesus. It's, it's not like you even have to go search. He'll put them in your lap. He'll put them right in front of you. You just got to open your eyes to see the spiritual need. Proverbs 16.9 says this, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. He's going to determine your steps. You're, not, you're really not responsible for anything but what God really sets before you. So in order to change the world, in order to change your world, we need to connect before we correct. I think it's so easy to get upset and angry because we don't uh, really like people. You know, there's the Lord's Prayer, Young E. Cho. Young E. Cho was a pastor of the largest church in the world, in the history of the world, a million people. And uh, he would speak, he's the one that created the Lord's Prayer and the breakdown of the Lord's Prayer. He was probably the first one that wrote on that, how you break down the Lord's Prayer. And he was speaking at a conference that I was at many years ago now in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he said, and the part where it says, I can't speak in his accent, he goes, uh, where it says, forgive as I have been forgiven. That is a very difficult prayer as I don't like many people. <laughs> uh, I thought it was funny. Here's a pastor of the largest. He doesn't like many people. <laughs> So open your eyes, here's, here's the second, open your eyes to who they are. Open the eyes that they are an object of God's love, that God loves them, that God loves them. You may not like them, but God loves them. 
And that God wants their soul to come back to him if they're not believers. He wants them to be believers. We cannot see people as enemies if you do make them a friend. We can't see people as enemies if you do make them a friend. Like, like they're, they were created by God. And, and I've mentioned this many times. The one prayer Jesus prayed again and again is, God, let them be one as you and I are one. And we're more caught up in why doesn't God answer our prayers? I think God is, well, answer my prayer. And start getting along with one another. Find reasons that you're unified than all the reasons why we're, we're living in a world that is great at dividing us. I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm a, a Republican and Democrat. I'm white and black. I'm from this nation and that nation. And I'm a man and a woman or whatever. It was like, how do you feel about vaccines? How do you feel about masks? How do you feel about whether, all the economy stuff? And how do you feel? And, and it's like we've divided ourselves up. And God's prayer was, why are we focusing on all the things that divide us when we should work on the things that bring us together and we really need to love people? You will never lead anyone to Christ that you do not love. You won't. If you do not care about that person, you will not lead them to Jesus. You'll want to correct them. you want them to think on like you think. And so rather than leaving them to Christ, my ultimate purpose is to get them to agree with me on this whole vaccine thing or to agree with me on the mask thing or to agree with me in the political thing. My, my motive in life is to get them to see the world like I see the world rather than to see Jesus. Hopefully... Well, maybe not the way you see Jesus. Maybe you need a rearrangement on how you see Christ. Because when he saw people, he didn't see division. He saw the object of his Father's love. And he says, what can I do to bring them in to understand how much God loves them? Really, 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 really. What is the motivating factor with people we don't agree with. When we saw the crowds, we had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without the shepherd. We saw them, sure, they're acting like that because they're, they're lost. To change our world, we don't have to be like them, but we do have to like them. Now, the third one is open our eyes to what they need. Open our eyes to what they need. And there's two sides, really. There are people who take the true side, and there's people who take the gray side. Quite frankly, uh, I, I'm not trying to get into that part, but this, this is one. The truth, they may be right, but truth is not truth if it's not accompanied by love. So you may be right on all the things you say, but you're wrong if you don't, administrate it because you truly love the person you're giving the truth to. It's funny how when you love somebody, you really take time to ask the Lord, how should I say this in a way that will, hurt, will bring their heart to an understanding of who you are? And in their grace side, because how many know, thank God for grace, recognizing that not everybody in here is as perfect as you. 
and you're probably not perfect either, right? Isn't it amazing how our sins aren't as bad as everyone else's? Everyone else's are sending them to hell, but mine are forgiven. Or, or they get we go through condemnation. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We need both. We need to operate in both. We need to operate with grace that looks at people uh, in a way where they're in the process of being uh, redeemed and or sanctified and becoming like Christ and yet also the truth that isn't anchored to where we're headed. The, you know, isn't it interesting that Jesus is ministering one day and he comes up to his tree and there's a little man up in the tree. And this man becomes so famous they write a song about him. I mean, in the song, and I don't know if I'm a short guy and I'm an average American man, just so you know, uh, in case you were thinking otherwise, uh, my height is an average American man height. I just wanted to clarify, no identity issues or insecurities at all. Um, but uh, he goes, hey, can you imagine the song being Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, a wee little man was he. It was like two, two times. Like, that's a guy that, I don't, I don't know if that was sanctioned by Jesus. You know, let's not call him a wee little man. But, but I think I know the people who wrote that song were the people who had been taken advantage of by Zacchaeus. And he wasn't just a wee little man in stature. He was a wee little man in, in his moral stature. And Jesus comes up to the man who had been taking advantage of the people he loved about this was not a good man. He's up in a tree just seeing what's going on, and Jesus comes up, Zacchaeus, come down the tree. He doesn't correct him. He says, you want to go to dinner? To the man who's taking advantage of his people. Now, in church culture, we would do the thing of cancel culture. You know, it amazes me how church people have a problem with cancel culture, and we should, and yet they've been practicing it for years. People make a mistake, people do something that we deem morally just almost unforgivable, and we cancel them out of our culture. We have preachers that have done things and made a moral error and we canceled them on our culture and all of their books and everything we burn in a, in a pile as if they, don't, they were once great and healthy and wonderful and we burn it all. We don't even bring them up because they did something that, so we cancel. Stop, see how we can get caught up? Why are we becoming so judge? I'll let you finish all those statements. <laughs> to change the world to change the world, we need to show people the same kind of love God showed us, unconditional love. Unconditional love that we love people. Now, John Maxwell is a, one of the great evangelists of our day, and, he, and you say, well, he's a leadership-like guy, right? And I say, yeah, but he's a leadership guy to a lot of unbelieving business people. And after he gives his speech and all of those things, he asks them, you're welcome to leave, but in the next 20 minutes, I want to I just share the reason of why I am who I am. And I'd love, to, if you want to hear that, you just hang around and I'd love to share that. And he always closes it out with these four, 
statements, and, and I heard John Maxwell um, at, a, at a conference, a CalEx conference, and he shared what those four were, and I want to share, I just, I wrote them down, and, and I want you to hear this. This is the four pictures of God. He says, either you view him as a locked gate, you view God uh, that he can't be reached, that he can't be reached. He's on the one side and we're on the other. He's too far away and he just, I don't feel like I can ever reach him. Or you view him as a garbage can. God doesn't want me. He just doesn't want me. Or you view him as an endless ladder. God requires a lot from me. He just requires too much from me and I don't think I can do all of that. And so I don't want to do the God thing. I don't want to get in the hamster wheel of that, of having to do everything. I just, I don't know. Or you can view them as I view them, as a free gift. The right view of God is he's not asking anything from you. He's not even asking you to go out and win your neighbors to Christ. He's not saying you got to do any of those things to reach him. He really just wants relationship with you. And it's out of the relationship you have with him of discovering who he is that you become like the disciples who were flogged and beaten because they were preaching the gospel. And then they make the statement, you determine for yourself whether it's right for us to do that before God. But as for us, we cannot help ourselves. Why? Because they really had a relationship with God and not a religion with God. And the reason we ultimately don't tell people about our faith in Christ is because we're more caught into the religion of it than we are in a relationship of it. And God doesn't want your religion. It's demonic. All religion is demonic and Christianity is the worst. Because it makes you think you're there when you're miles away. It's about a relationship with Jesus. That's why he came to earth, was to establish a relationship with you. And that's the problem with sin, is sin keeps you from running to God until you discover Jesus purchased your sin. All of it. Even the ones you haven't committed yet. And he crucified it. He said, let me just get that mess out of the way. Come to me. And when you do, and when you discover him, and when you see him for who he is, he will change everything in your life. And it will be so real, you won't deny that it's real. You won't question whether it's real. You will just know. Will you bow your head right now? Pastor Olivier is coming. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that every person in this room that has been sitting in a place just running this race with religion would stop and even now repent, change the way they think to see that this is something far greater than a religion. Will you stand? There are going to be people in this altar praying with you. And if you, if you say, you know what, I want to make a decision really to know this Jesus in relationship. I want you to come forward. They're going to pray with you and they're going to help you understand where you go from here and what happens from here. That, and, and you can just share with them whatever you want to share with them. But God's going to do something incredible in your life. I know he is because he did it for me and I know he's going to do it for you. Do you believe that? You believe that? Will you just lift up your voice right now and just begin talking to the Lord? Will you do that? Just take time right now. Just say, God, I love you, Lord God. I thank you for what you're doing in my life.